This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Amir Gadrati, Director, Market Analyst Insights at AppAnny. Amir, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks for coming. And, you know, if you look at the App Store or Google Play, the first thing that just jumps at you would be games. So many games. People play games everywhere, and there's a great variety of games on those app stores. In fact, there are more types of games that is actually reflected in those app store structure. There's got to be a solution for a game developer to have a better picture of the mobile game market to navigate it efficiently and make more money. Luckily, there's one. And we will be talking about it a little bit later on on this episode. But let's talk about you and that first. Uh, tell us about yourself. How did you get into the app market analytics business? Yeah, so I mean, I've I've always been interested in in analyzing information. You know, I was I was at Stanford for my undergrad and, and Duke for grad school, and you know, I was always working on some sort of you know, extremely applied business centric forms of of engineering, right? Being able to to work with that on kind of the you know, more micro micro scale there. And mm-hmm. one of the things that that drew me to the space is that. Yeah, frequently what you can find in this industry is just the ability to work with both data and with people because you need to not only be able to analyze what's going on in the market, but you also need to be able to to communicate that information to others and then help them be able to find successful solutions based on your analysis of that that information. And so when it came time for, you know, looking for various places to work, you know, I was at Comscore before and then wanted to move to to a company that was even more focused on mobile because that's where I saw a lot of the growth coming in the industry, right? We're solving for a lot of things that people haven't actually had to work on before. And so AppAnnie was a a very natural place to to kind of take that that next step. And so I've actually been here for a little over seven years now. So I've gotten to see the, the industry change quite a bit. Yeah, Appenny is a very prominent place, and uh, I've been following the company you know, for a number of years. And uh, I think first time I heard about you guys when I was listening to one of the keynotes by Apple, and they mentioned the, some of their stats, like a uh, you know, bird view of the App Store, and they provided your stats. Today's conversation, we're going to be talking about game taxonomy and analytics. So to start off, Let's define this term taxonomy for the audience, because for me, taxonomy is kind of a combination of taxes and economy. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for us, you know, when we're talking about you know taxonomy, and in, in this case, you know, in a way, we're really talking about just gaming classification and mm-hmm. just a deeper level of of gaming classification. So, you know, looking at mobile, you know, just the mobile gaming industry has never been more lucrative, but also it's it's never been more competitive. And one of the things that's interesting is just the ways in which we game has evolved over time and it shifted over time. It's a lot more complex than it than it used to be. And so being able to look at a taxonomy is really being able to engage with the question of just how are people playing games and what types of games are those and what mechanics 
are they using and in what ways are those games monetizing? You know, how do we actually classify all these various things in a way that someone can can actually look at it and get a sense of, well, what are the, the overarching changes? Mm-hmm. Got you. So, you know, we're, we're sitting in this virtual room on the opposite side of the Atlantic 12 years after the <laughs> iOS App Store was launched by Apple. And if I remember correctly, there was there were like 500 apps. Today, we all know there are 2 million apps and many of those are games. Tell us about the mobile game landscape today. Like specifically, what are game categories are there and their popularity? Uh, draw us a broad picture of the mobile game market brands have to navigate on. Yeah, so... Uh... You know, thinking of the the mobile game market overall, one one of the really interesting things that's you know kind of changed over you know again the seven years I've been at Afghani is just you know how prevalent mobile gaming has become in terms of just being a major player in in, in the gaming space. Uh, you know, at at one point you were at a situation where you know consumer spend on mobile games was lower than you might see on on other gaming platforms, and now we're at a point where you know, by the end of 2020, we're expecting people to have spent over a hundred billion dollars on mm-hmm. on mobile games. You know, that's just from spend, right? That's not even including what's going on 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 the advertising side or other types of partnerships that might be involved there. But a hundred billion dollars by the end of the year, and so not only is mobile gaming the largest form of gaming by spend, it's also just to put that in, in context, you know, it's going to be like two point x two point eight times the size of of PC and Mac gaming. Right and like over three times the size of, of home game consoles, so these are these are really really big numbers for a category that before you know people may have thought of as just more of a you know casual or informal way of, of gaming. You know, it's really a a platform that has democratized gaming because, as you know, right, the the mobile phone is the one device that many people have with them, and so if you're trying to engage with as many users as possible and you're trying to interact with people where they're spending their time, you know, people are increasingly spending their time on, on mobile. And the devices have become a lot more advanced, right? There's a lot more storage. You're able to just do a lot more. The connectivity is better. So it's it's lended itself to a situation where you even have uh, examples of cross-platform, you know, massive multi player games being played online where someone's on their phone and someone else is on their, their PC or console, right? So that's, that's, that's the large scale of what's going on. In terms of the categories, you know, you have a kind of a couple of ways of being able to approach this, right? Uh, you know, there's the, the more of the hyper casual side or the casual side in which people are going to be downloading a lot of games. They're going to be kind of cycling through those games over time. You know, they might play one game for for a few weeks or a couple months, and then they might move on to something else. And then you're just shifting people between different types of, of games, and those are going to be shorter shorter sessions. Uh, you know, you're going to be able to to monetize still through through in app purchases, which is the the dominant way of being able to monetize on the platform. And then you have you know more of the the core gaming, right? The heavier sessions, the longer sessions that are more likely to to be multiplayer. And those are ones where you're not going to have as many people, but people are going to spend a lot more time in those. And they're more likely to stick with a game for, for an extended period of time uh, than you would for, for the casual ones. And, and the interesting thing is that both of these are extremely popular. It's just that you know you need to find games that are going to work well for various types of, of users in the space. And the way that those users interact is going to change 
you know, both within categories and also across across regions. So you mentioned the in-app purchases as the major driver for this mobile game industry. What about subscriptions? Is there any attraction in terms of a subscription model for gaming? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know historically in mobile gaming has been you know kind of the first mover uh, for for basically everything. So when yep. you know, if someone's looking for what's going to be successful in their mobile app, a lot of times you know even if it's a completely different category, they'll look to gaming and see well what mechanisms have they tried or what what have they been doing and how can I apply that to my to my business. For the subscription side, you know we saw it more so first with with media. Right with you know video streaming and, and music streaming and in some cases shopping you know, you, you see that Netflix, more in gaming Spotify. exactly exactly and then for for gaming it's been a little bit of a you know a slower moving component there and I think a large portion of that is just from the way that we've been conditioned to to use games historically you know on PC and console side you can get people that are willing to pay sixty dollars sight unseen for for a game and that's you know, historically been kind of the, the dominant model for that. And then for the gaming side, so much of it was focused on on advertising, especially early on. And and not that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with using advertising, but people just got used to so many things being available for free. That's mm-hmm. even hard to get someone to pay $5 for a game sight unseen on mobile, right? Even if they're paying for a very, very similar experience. And so as a result, you know, the vast majority of the revenue has come from free to download, try it out for a little bit, and then some form of in-app purchase, whether you're paying for the ability to remove ads, the ability to get items that might help you while playing, or, or other various forms of monetization there. And, and now we're moving into somewhat of a, a hybrid monetization where you might uh, have both advertising and in-app purchases as, as being both important forms of monetization there. But the, the subscription side, you know, it, it's one that I'm very interested in seeing how that how that plays out. It's it's going to take a while because you have to basically shift all of those habits from what people were used to before, where you know they're they're not necessarily willing to to pay as much, and so it's going to take time. It will help if they're able to do more forms of bundling, right? Because I mean, you've seen with mm-hmm. these these various services that you can have, you know, your music, your video, your news, maybe all packaged into one, and then you could also have gaming in there, and then if people have access to it already. You know, through some sort of, of discount for the overall services being purchased together, you know, they would actually be able to try out new types of gaming. Because the the one the one downside to you know in-app purchases and, and advertising in terms of forms of gaming is those work best with certain types of gaming. They're not going to work well for every single game that someone would want to make. And so the subscription side really opens up the opportunity for new types of games to be able to find success and, and being able to continue to you know, produce games of that of that type for a longer period of time. So in a way, it should help the overall market. It's just going to take us a while to get there. I see. All right. Now, as we've painted the broad picture of the mobile game market, let's talk about issues on, on it. So what kind of problems brands and developers have with the current classification of mobile games on the App Store and Google Play? store uh what is missing i mean so there's there's definitely a few things few things going on you know one is just that you know there's multiple stores and each store has its own form of classification and and things are not going to be consistent across the stores right that's the big one is just it's it's not going to be apples to apples the other thing that you know the stores are, are doing and it's designed specifically this way is that the store categories are for consumers right 
the store categories are made in a way that you're supposed to kind of browse through things that you might be interested in and find games that fit the categorization that you might be looking for and being able to, to download that game. So yeah, but- if you think about what's going to be for consumers, right, that's going to be significantly fewer categories. You're not talking about mechanics. You know, it's not made for, for analysis. Yeah, exactly. This is just for a regular user that, by definition, it shouldn't be complex. N- nothing extra that is not relevant to a regular person just to holding his phone and looking for a game to play, right? Exactly, exactly. And then you also, and, and then you also have the ability where the publishers themselves kind of determine which category that they that they go into, which means that again, they might not pick the same category for each country or each competitive set might not necessarily classify themselves the the same way. And this was something that was maybe a little less noticeable before. And, and they will add in at categories over time and, and change things. But again, as we were saying, if you want it to be useful for consumers, you, you can't go to the complexity of what's going on in the stores right now. I think there's, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 20 to 25 games, you know, game categories across iOS and, and Google Play. And that's not necessarily going to be able to cover the depth and the breadth of what's going on in gaming, especially because more hybrid forms of, of gaming are becoming popular today. All right. I saw you guys at Penny have recently launched a new tool, uh, Game IQ. So my understanding is that this is your way to give up developers and brands a hand with this out-of-control game taxonomy uh, to bring more order, more hierarchy. So how does it work? How does it help game developers to actually see a more complete picture of the game industry and be more efficient on it. Yeah, so I, I was talking about how you know iOS and, and Google Play, they're going to have closer to 20, 25 you know, various game subgenres, I guess I, I could call them. You know, for, for the App Annie side, we're getting much more granular with, with game IQ. So at the highest level, you know, we're, we're breaking down the, the structure, you can actually see how all these various game subgenres are going to funnel up. So we kind of split things at the highest level across you know, casino games and core games and casual games, right? Those are kind of the, the, the big three, three buckets. And mm-hmm. then you take a step deeper and there's about 20 genres that we're looking at. And so that, that might be things like sports or strategy or hyper-casual or arcade simulation, things like that. So that's that's going to align with a lot of the, you know, the categories that you might hear about in, in the store. And then we go another level deeper to the subgenres, and we have about 100 subgenres right now. And so that's going to get as specific as, you know, physics-based action or run-and-gun platformer or, or card battle or city battle or battle royale or you know customization for lifestyle right you're you're getting into these very granular categories that are quite numerous and so that's going to be able to let you to break out these games into these these you know different competitive sets so you can really understand what's driving growth in the market and that's just from the the pure you know categorization side we also have you know five categories of of modifier tags you know through which there's over 80 tags within that without even considering IP listings. And you can get to get to really, really interesting analysis with that. So when you're when you're looking at something like that, it might be you know gameplay or monetization or art style or or theme and, and again IP. So you're looking at not only is this a city builder game, but is it being played in landscape or portrait? Is it 
2D or 3D? Are they using loot boxes or VIP passes for monetization? You know, and, and are they using daily events or, or friend invites or or are they creating tournaments in their their gameplay? And then even just the theme, right? Is it is it a horror theme? Is it more of a detective? And so if you you think about all these things that we're talking about, right? That's a lot of different ways of being able to analyze a game and it can be tagged in all of these different ways. And so the analysis that you're going to be able to do is, is so much deeper that it's you know made specifically for you being able to get information out of what's going on in, in, in the market. And that's something that hasn't really existed before, right? So we're, we're creating something that's, you know, useful for developers, useful for publishers, but you know, what's, what's really exciting about it is that it's, you know, creating a way that is going to help people understand things that they never could have been able to figure out before, because it would have been so costly and so manual to keep up with an industry that is not only millions of games, but continuously adding new games over time. And games are continuously changing their, their mechanics. So we've created an, an industry standard to help people being able to find out what's going on. But then they can also do their own custom classifications if they want to keep track of things in their in their own way. So actually, the analogy that comes to my mind is that if we think about the regular App Store uh, categories like an iPad, you guys have created iPad Pro, right? <laughs> <laughs> you guys gave more more power in terms of understanding the complexity, like you know, better optics deeper, more granular picture of what the Epic game industry market is today. So obviously you're, you're using the vast amount of data you're, you've been collecting over the years. Is this something that you'd set in stone? I mean, this game taxonomy or uh, game developers may customize it uh, if they want to. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely not set in stone. So one, you know, like I said, games are changing all the time. So you need to update how the, how the classifications work. You know, we do, we do also use data science to create, you know, kind of that, that scalable and accessible information for this. So that's why, you know, we've done over 28,000 games so far, and we're continuously you know, adding, adding more. So that way people can get those insights you know, fast and also automatically, you know, within in the platform. You know, as we were saying, not only are there those those standard classifications that we create, so you're able to see if new people are entering new subgenres and modifiers and things like that. You can see how the industry is 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 changing because we're at least creating something reliable that you can use. But you're also able to create your your own custom tags. Uh, you know, especially if you want to look at a competitive set that's maybe across a few different categories, or if you have a very unique way of classifying games within your own organization and you want to look at it that way, you, you know, you're, you're able to do that because the, the information is only going to be useful if it's, if it's accessible enough that people are willing to, to make decisions based off it, right? Like if, if you're analyzing information and you're not changing anything that you're doing based on that, then, you know, maybe it's providing some level of reassurance, but, you know, you're not necessarily getting a, an additional benefit out of it. But in, in this way, it makes it more likely that someone is going to be able to align it with what's going on in their own business units and being able to make the, the best decisions that way. All right. Gotcha. Being at Penia for seven years, uh, can you think of any misconceptions about mobile game industry you encounter over the years of your work at Appenia? Well, like what people get wrong about mobile uh, game ecosystem? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely been a lot, right? If you, you spend enough time in, in one place, you see a lot of things, you know, kind of evolve in, in the industry. And that's that's definitely been one of the most, uh, I'd say that's been one of the most rewarding things is just kind of seeing how things you know, have changed over over time within within the industry and just how far we've, we've come since then. Now, I remember, you know, people used to think that you could only really monetize with ads for gaming or paid downloads. And that was, you know, that was kind of like the only way to, to be successful, just one or the other, or, you know, games needed to be, to be casual or that most games needed to be in portrait mode because you're going to be primarily on the go or that you can't do, you couldn't do true multiplayer or social elements or real time elements uh, on a, on a phone because it, the, the latency would be too big or, you know, that larger games and larger companies didn't need to, to think about mobile, you know, but we're seeing that, you know, hardware, storage, innovation, those all are much stronger, you know, now and, and continuing to, to improve. And again, if you want your business to be successful, you know, more people are spending their, their time on, on mobile. And that's especially true, even though that people are at home right now with, with a lot of things going on with COVID, you know, the habits that people are developing are much more mobile centric than they than they used to be. So mobile is even growing now. And even if things level off later on, you know, they're still going to be at a higher, higher usage than they were, you know, pre pre-COVID. Right. And so you're seeing a lot of situations as well where you know console games are either moving, also moving to mobile. So they're creating versions of their games for mobile. Where they're adding tie-ins for their games that you can use on mobile and console. You know, we've we've seen that with with games like Animal Crossing for for Nintendo Switch has been something that's been uh, you know popular for them, where people will engage with with both the app on their device and also the game on on the other units them, themselves. Right. Speaking of us sitting at home, what kind of games do you see helping people to go through these harsh times? How their mobile games preferences have changed since COVID-19 hit the world? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, gaming in general is, is you know, a form, can be a form of many things, right? It's going to mean different things to different gamers. It might be just entertainment. It might be a way of, of, of escape. But I would say a really big thing that's important now is just a way of being able to connect with, with other people, especially with, with friends and family that you might mm. not necessarily be in the same location with. Because you know, a game can provide a way for people to still socialize, but you have an activity that you're doing. So you're not necessarily just you know, on the phone having a conversation, which might not be something that's, that's as sustainable on a repeated basis for, for an extended period of time, right? You know, if you have a game, yeah. you have something that you're working on and that conversation can flow, flow a lot more organically. And so something that's, that's increasingly important is just you know, those strong social components, right? Being able to actually chat with people while you're, you're playing and working toward shared, shared goals in, in real time. And so we've seen that be you know, kind of like a, a major component for, for gaming, you know, on competitive multiplayer, we've seen, you know, for, for that being a big element, especially for core gaming, you know, I think, you know, close to, to 80% of the, you know, kind of the, the time spent we were seeing for, for some of these top games were coming from games that have competitive multiplayer as, as a, as a component in there. And it went from something that was more of a, a nice to have or somewhat of a differentiator to a, this is an extremely important part of your game. If you want people to keep playing it for the long term, right? Because if people feel like they can't get the things they need out of the game from your game, they, they might go play someone else. 
Yeah, that's for sure. People need shared experience because otherwise, like, uh, that's one of the reasons, like, we, you have to some, some topic to talk about. Like, yeah, when you're, you know, having a shared experience, being on a trip, going to a movie, to a restaurant, when you don't have all these things, you got to have something to talk about and distract yourself from your harsh thoughts about the current situation. So gaming, that's, that's a good way of, you know, being distracted, sit together. Yeah, not, not in the same place, but essentially doing the same thing you would be doing sitting next to each other, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's you know, Battle Royale was already growing before before COVID. You know, that had already been a quickly rising category ever ever since PUBG a couple of years ago. But it's been especially important important now. And, you know, that's not to say that, that casual games aren't important. Those are still still growing as well, and those are still still doing well. But those those core gaming experiences are the ones that are going to create those longer sessions that you can have those, you know, more easily have those those shared experiences. In. And, you know, one category that's been growing a little bit, but I'd be interested in seeing it grow even more is just, you know, having more, you know, board games kind of transition over to, to mobile as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you know, that's something that people used to do in person together as well. Right. Uh, but you can easily or I shouldn't say easily, but you can replicate a lot of those those engagements and interactions on on mobile. And, the, and there are some simulators and there are ways of doing that. But I imagine that we're going to see more of that style of, of development take place you know, going forward to be able to, to work on things like that. Yeah, like sitting in the board of chess. Uh, now you're doing the same thing on your iPads or your smartphones, but just you know, on, on a different screen. It's not, not in the same physical location sitting at the table. Okay, so we've arrived, arrived to this part of the show where I'm asking my guests a quick question just to get a better picture of who they are. All right, so question number one, are you iOS or Android person? Well, as as someone who who works in mobile, I am both. So I have <laughs> I can I conveniently have multiple devices, so I can you know see what's going on differently across the uh, across the store. So I always I always have both. All right, so you, you're not leaning t- towards one one or the other. All right, okay, taking the the best from both worlds. Do you remember your first mobile phone? Yeah, so I've. So I, I mean, I had, I've used I had used other mobile phones before, but the first one that actually belonged to me, I think, I think it was, you know, uh, uh, it might have been the E seven hundred. I forget, but I think it was a, a Samsung phone. But it was it was a you know a T nine flip phone on mm-hmm. on Sprint uh, that that I had, uh, and that was that was the uh, you know, the very first uh, you know mobile device, and you know I. Back back when uh, you know T9 seemed like something that was very advanced technology for us, and, and everyone was perfectly fine hitting the same number three times to get one single letter and and things like that. Uh, my my interestingly enough, my first smartphone I believe was the uh, the Samsung Instinct. I don't know if you remember remember that device, uh, but I think that came out yeah, around the same so. time or maybe a little after the the iPhone, uh, but. It was a, uh, you know, it was it was the only smartphone that worked on my the carrier that I had back then, which which we had to have because that was the only service that worked at like my school and my sister's school and where mm-hmm. my my family lived and and things like that. Uh, but I will say, so I mean, those those were some of the the early ones. I will say one one phone that also stuck out to me uh, was I do remember uh, the LG G three, 
as as a device because that was that was the first phone that I had that had I think it was like a seventy five percent screen to body ratio, and you know just the idea of the phone being having like five and a half inch screen but having it be mostly screen and not bezels and other things around the side that was definitely you know kind of life changing from a, a user experience perspective. Uh, and, and was something that made me realize how much I, I large like those kind of like larger style style phones. So it's you know when I'm getting a phone, I tend to get the the larger XL version uh, for for that reason. I, I see. So that was the introduction to the world of uh, phones that are have like today. It's kind of a standard what you're expecting from the latest models of iPhones or Samsung Galaxy phones. Today, what is your favorite mobile app? Yeah. So one, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, definitely trying a lot of apps over time, just again, to see what various types of, of, of tech are, are in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, I, I am still a very big user of, of Feedly. I do really like that one just in terms of being able to you know, kind of aggregate news from, from various sources and just having links to those, those articles, as opposed to having to navigate to ind- individual websites throughout the day. And, and looking for for articles uh, that way, and then you know of course I'm I'm using you know my phone for for streaming and, and music and, and gaming and transit and, and all those sorts of things. Um, you know I also use Letterboxd you know because I'm a, a big movie fan, so you can keep track of, of things in there. And I think my uh, you know in spite of the fact that I, I really enjoy core gaming and I think you know a lot of the core gaming experiences on mobile work really well right now, especially the, the battle Royale stuff, which I'm, I'm always impressed by. I think my, I think my most played game on my, my phone is probably 2048 just because it's, it's been around for so long. Cause I think at least on mobile, I think that became big maybe in 2014 or something like that. And it, it has, you know, it, it's always been a game that's been very useful for, you know, when I'm in line or in transit just for, for quick play sessions. And so that's, you know, I, I only play it enough that I haven't gotten tired of having that just be on my, on my device. So that's probably, like I said, surprisingly my most played game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're like four days away from the uh, Apple's keynote. And uh, obviously iOS 14 will hit the every iPhone in a few weeks, uh, so there are some big things are coming on the iOS frontier, and uh, Google Android hopefully will, well, not hopefully, that they're going to be catching up with the update of the Android platform, so big things are coming on the uh, mobile de- devices, but what, is, what are the app technologies are you most excited about personally? What kind of features, uh, I don't know, both from the perspective of hardware and software, you would like to have your, on your phone to make it more useful for you, you know, on a daily basis, to make it more efficient, to, to do a better device in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, some things I'm interested in are, are hardware and some are just, you know, things that would be developed from the, you know, from the, the gaming perspective. You know, I, I mentioned before how I'd be interested in seeing more, you know, more board games and things like that developed on, mm-hmm. on the mobile side. Uh, I do, I do love the concept just in general of cross-platform. So I hope, I hope that trend continues, and, and that's something that we see with with various types of games. And I'm also a big fan of you know kind of seeing what we're able to achieve with with cloud gaming as well. You know, the idea that you can take this device with you and maybe use a very you know a different type of controller or something else with with whatever location you're you're at. You know, being able to have games uh, as something that is easier to to travel with 
right? And mm-hmm. so you can keep playing the same things you're interested in when you're on the go, as opposed to you know having to switch up, you know what you're playing when you're when you're not at home. Uh, from the you know the, from the AR perspective, that's that's one that's always interesting because I I know that's that's an area where the technology continues to get better. I'm I'm interested in seeing you know if there's if there are types of games that we can make that are going to become popular for AR that don't necessarily involve you know travel and or or your arms necessarily getting tired because it's a little hard to keep your your you know your arms pointed at a table for you know a 10 minute period of time you know i would i would recommend someone try that and, and just see how long they're able to to kind of hold that position maybe that's a good good covid internal exercise but i'm interested in seeing like what what sort of things are we're able to to do there and again the subscriptions you know we talked about that a little bit and then, you know, hybrid gaming is like having different types of gaming mechanics from categories that you don't necessarily expect. So, you know, you can have more, you know, casino elements in, in core gaming or, or puzzles or other things like that. Uh, just different types of gaming categories kind of coming together to create something new and unique so that you're mixing up the gameplay while you're, while you're, while you're going through it. Uh, and then you know, other other hardware ones. I'm interested in seeing. You know, what what's going to happen with some of these you know foldable phones, right? With the extended screen, because then you know we've we've gotten to a point where you're streaming so much content on your devices that you know a lot of times the larger screen is is good. And being able to have a screen that expands, you know, without necessarily taking up more that much more space in your in your your storage areas, which might just be your your pocket, right? You know, having something like that would would be interesting. So I'm, and it, you know, definitely want to see how, how some of those technologies uh, uh, play out. And and of course, right, just like five G, just better connectivity across the world over time is is always good. All right, I'm sure we're going to have the hologram on our smartphones in the near future. <laughs> so we're going we're going to resolve this problem with a bigger screen. I think it's given. Anyway, um, that was my last question. But before I let you go, just one more: How can people get in touch with you and know more about what you do at AppAnnie. Yeah, so for, for me, I'm Amir Gujarati. Yeah, I work at AppAnnie, so I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn because I'm the, the only person with that name at the company, so that shouldn't be too hard there. Uh, but for, for AppAnnie, yeah, I would definitely recommend people go to AppAnnie.com, you know, including AppAnnie.com slash insights, because we do a lot of really interesting work, You know, kind of highlighting things that you know, people should be keeping an eye on for, for the industry. And, you know, for, for my team, we do that by looking at App Annie's own, own estimates and taking that information and combining it with what we see going on in the industry to really highlight things that we find interesting, right? And, and you know, best practices for, for various personas as well, in addition to, you know, rising categories or new mechanics, just things that are kind of popping out in, in mobile. And it's, you know, we have a lot of information on gaming, but it's also not not just gaming. So if people are interested in in seeing what we're writing about, you know, retail or, or how to approach Gen Z, there's a lot of really really great content on there. And you know, we also post a lot of things on on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and Facebook, so you can take a look at the App Andy corporate account there. And when we have new things, you know, we we tend to to post that information out there in, in the wild as well. Awesome! Thanks a lot for your time and coming on our podcast, Emir. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. It's always it's always fun to talk about what's what's interesting and up and coming in in mobile. Terrific. Bye bye. And that was Amir Gudrati, Director Market Insights at App Eddy. 
To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Once you subscribe, you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. See you next week. Bye. This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.